Are you ready to make a real difference in the world and especially to the people around you? Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast, where we celebrate the road less traveled in business, leadership, and life. We welcome you to another conversation that we believe will provide you with the insight and inspiration you need on your journey. Here's your host, Kevin Monroe. Welcome to episode 144 of the Higher Purpose Podcast. Thanks for joining me today. I am so glad that you've chosen to listen now, whenever the now is that you're listening. Over the past seven weeks, we've been mindful to talk about what's going on in our world. In every conversation, we've had some element of that. Well, today's conversation, we're going all in in a different kind of way. A way that I believe is extremely relevant now and will continue to be relevant whenever it is that you listen to this episode. What we're talking about today are the skills we, you and me, need to navigate our current crisis and the next crisis we face. Whatever scale or scope that crisis may take and whenever it may occur. Joining me again today is Tim Arnold. You may remember him from episode 125. Tim's the author of The Power of Healthy Tension. He's someone who's become a friend. Let's get into this conversation because I believe you'll find value in what we explore now. Tim Arnold, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, it's been a little while. I would say that it's fair to say lots of changes since we last talked. <laughs> yeah, Tim, I actually I looked it up. It was just 19 episodes ago from when we released this one. It was back on December 17th, but that hit me. That was BC, <laughs> before coronavirus, before COVID-19. And in some ways, it seems like a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. But last week, you and I had the opportunity to reconnect in conversation with our mutual friend, Christy Kern, when suddenly it hit me like, wow, we need to have this conversation now. Hmm. And in one way, this conversation is similar to the one we had in December. And in another way, to me, it seems radically different. So is it just me or does it seem that way to you as well? I felt the same way. And I think that we were, you know, talking about super relevant topic or even aspect of life when we're trying to tap into the extraordinary. Now, beyond just kind of getting our head around this concept, I think we started to really recognize there's some applications of that same conversation that right now are just so critical. And that's, I think, very much worth a bit of time to revisit our conversation. Yes. So you listening, this is going to be a different conversation than we had back in December. You may want to go back and pick that one up as you enjoy this one, but this is different. The December conversation is not a precursor to this, but Tim, you're going to share. I mean, this is what I read with what you sent me. You're going to share the secret to resilience and results during challenging times like coronavirus, like COVID-19. Is that true? I'm going to do my best to at least share what I've been learning, researching, spending Mm. uh, 
countless hours thinking about, you know, most of my work, and for anyone who listened to me when we chatted in 2019, you know, focuses on key tensions that we need to manage in life, especially if we want to live an extraordinary life. And, you know, when I say tensions, often that's a word that people don't like. You know, tensions are bad, we avoid them, we ignore them, but I'm talking about the good tensions, the the unavoidable wrestling matches that if we choose to embrace them can actually lead to a next level of effectiveness, of more effective relationships, of impact. So, you know, they're unavoidable life. And, you know, we talked about this last time, things like managing the tension between work and home, managing the tension between being truthful and candid, but also being tactful and relational, you know, managing the tension between planning and action. And all of those are important. What was super interesting to me, and I feel so encouraged just how things work together in life, I was working on my next book and researching not just this idea of tensions, but specifically tensions tied to resilience Mm. and results. So of all the tensions, and research would say you're dealing with a wide variety of, and again, I say tension, call it a polarity, conflicting values, all the same idea. But there's a short list of a few that really matter when we're in challenging times. You know, and you may not name it, you're already wrestling with it. So the question is, can you name them? Can you assess how healthy you're dealing with that tension? And probably the most important question is, what would it take for you to manage it in a healthier way? Well, Tim, I am so looking forward to this conversation. Before we go there, though, I want to pause to ground our time together in gratitude. So what is something that you're grateful for in this moment that we're together? Hmm. Well, I'm certainly grateful right now for health, Hmm. the health of my family, the reality that even in a time of social distancing and being asked to stay at home, we still have a beautiful roof over our head and a backyard that we can experience the spring weather. So it's a time when you realize that a lot feels like it's been taken away from you. And I think you recognize that we have still more than we need. We're very, very fortunate. So wow. And uh, thinking about that and grateful for that. Thanks for sharing. All right, so going back to the tensions, and you were just alluding to the fact that some people don't like feeling tension. Some people don't like labeling attention. So is there something about a time of crisis that makes tensions more difficult for us to label and to accept that these are tensions? Or does it push us into problem-solving mode and we just want to make it go away? Yeah, I think you're right. I think, I mean, again, the best metaphor example for a well-managed or even brilliantly managed tension, I, I say, is breathing. This gift we're given when we enter the world and we manage about 20,000 times a day until we leave the world of inhaling and exhaling. And we can't choose a side. You know, I can't wake up and say it's an inhale day. It's something that I'm constantly managing. But what's cool about breathing is it's an example of how those two seemingly opposite things can live so well together and you know i know there's lots of listeners that i'm sure put energy into focused breathing meditating maybe yoga different practices like that and you know if you actually embrace that tension we can become more grounded more present 
more in touch with the world around us. And, you know, that's an example of attention. And it's an example of, again, something where we can't choose a side, but we've got to kind of, kind of learn to live with both. Well, with other tensions in life, I think we lose sight of how to manage it well when we feel like we're being put to the test and we feel like we're really, really under the gun. There's something in us that goes into that reactive, just give me the right answer. You know, just tell me what to do. Let me pick a side. And, you know, there's lots of reasons and and I'm not going to get into the science or the psychology or the sociology of that, but there's a lot of reasons that we do that. But when we're under pressure, we want to pick a side more than ever before. And yet the paradox in that is, especially when it comes down to the, the three tensions we're going to talk about, it is the worst time to choose one side and neglect the other. What we want to do more than ever before is to actually have the courage and even a bit of confidence to say, no, I'm going to live with both. Mm. I'm going to actually, I'm going to embrace the tension between the two. Well, the one thing I've experienced and encountered and been noticing in my own life, Tim, and if you think of tension as, you know, a continuum or a slide, that right now, I can go from pretty high up if it's a zero to 10 continuum. I can be doing pretty well up there at at eight, nine, or 10. And then all of a sudden, a text comes, a conversation happens, and you're just kind of bopped upside of the head with something out of life. And man, it seems to slide way down Mm -hmm. real fast. Yeah. Yeah, I think that we're in a season where we are realizing that our logical and our emotional brains are both being put into high gear. And sometimes one side wins out over the other a little bit. And that can be a good thing, but it can also be something that works against us. And especially when that kind of reactive emotional brain starts to really, really win out. We can make decisions that we regret. We can lean into relationships in ways that don't serve us or other people well. So yeah, it's time when we really need to breathe. We got to be mindful of some of these key things that, you know, as leaders, as people who want to live extraordinary lives, we got to try to spend some time to manage, you know, some of these tensions really well. And in those moments, I love reminding myself that it is this tension and it is a continuum And that there are things I can do when I've felt that pull to the dark side of the continuum in in that case. And for me, a lot of it has been this floundering or flourishing continuum, Mm. right? How am I coming through this? Am I floundering or am I flourishing in these moments? And some days, you know, it's been that flourishing. And then all of a sudden, it's like, say, when we got a call that a friend of ours was diagnosed with COVID-19. Oh my gosh. And it just kind of set off a little bit of concern. I don't want to say panic, but concern. And whoa, it just, like I say, dialed it down. But before we go any further, you used a word, and I want us to define that word because that is such a valuable and vital word right now for us all. Resilience. It's a word that you know, we throw out a lot and we often add it to other words. We're talking about leadership. We talk about, you know, we want to be proactive and we want to be confident and resilient. 
But right now, I feel like that word is kind of rising to the top, and we're starting to say, okay, but you know, what does that mean, as you say, Kevin? And also, where am I at with that? Because right now, people's resiliency, I think, is being truly put to the test. And you know, resiliency has actually quite a few definitions, but you know, if we were going to really simplify things, it's how well do I show up, stand up keep going when, you know, really put to the test, you know, when I'm going upstream, when I feel like, you know, often the chips are down or, you know, if we're in an incredibly stressful situation, you know, are the, the values that I profess to live out, am I holding on to those values? You know, am I making decisions in a way that actually shows that, you know, I'm still kind of living with the same core mission? Mm-hmm. generally can I continue to show up well when the circumstances are against me and I think resiliency is something it's funny I remember when I was before I was married I had a marriage mentor that we're meeting with myself and my wife Becky and they said you know what you have a lot of expectations of each other the problem is you just don't know what they are you won't know what they are until someone has kind of broken them right I think everyone thinks they're resilient, but it's not until seasons like this when you actually start to realize what's the level of resiliency I have. You know, you talk about the continuum, but I say if I was to assess the last month, have I been 10 out of 10? I would say that resiliency is something that ultimately you assess over time. You know, that's kind of your overall resilience level. But then there's days where you're like, wow, my resiliency really you know, as you say, floundered today. What are those triggers that really attack kind of my level of resiliency? So, you know, right now, as much as I would not choose to go through what we're going through, it is a wonderful opportunity to really learn about ourselves and, you know, our how strong we really are and how values and mission-driven we truly are when sometimes we have to make really hard decisions to hold on to those values. All of that, I think, circles around this idea of resiliency. Okay. So you've mentioned this a couple of times. When we were together last, we talked about these tensions. We managed to live an extraordinary life. And those people that desire to go against the flow and do things different. Well, today, the focus is a wee bit different, even though it is this leading against the current. But it's how to be resilient and produce results during challenging times. And I think there are three we're going to try to get through today. Where would you like to start, Tim? Which one of these do you want to talk about first? Well, let me do this. I'll give you all three. Okay. And uh, I also, I'm going to jump ahead because we're going to end today by giving folks a chance to go deeper into either any one of the three, or if they want all three through a different kind of more interactive experience. So we're going to talk about these at a high level today. But I'm going to, knowing that, I'm going to give you all three and then we can kind of choose your own adventure. You tell me where you want to start. So, you know, the one tension that I think is critical to manage well, if we want resiliency and results, is being both optimistic and realistic. Sometimes this is known as the Stockdale principle in literature. So optimistic and realistic is one. Another one that is critical right now is embracing change and innovation and at the same time holding on to tradition and stability. So it's the change stability tension. Then the third one 
is this tension between caring for others and yet not neglecting to care for yourself. Hmm. So the three again are self and others, change and stability, optimism and realism. Hmm. So based on that, tell me where you want to dig in. Well, gosh, I don't think there's a wrong door. Let's make a deal. Door number one, door number two, door number three. There's no booby trap in any of them. They're all going to be good. I'm going to go with door number one because it's so funny. I remember the privilege I had of hearing Jim Collins when he first wrote Good to Great share his encounter with Admiral Stockdale. Mm. Tim, it is vivid in my mind. I was sitting in the Carter Center in Atlanta, Georgia, as part of a leadership program, and there may be 100, 120 people in the room, and he told that story so powerfully. And the point when Admiral Stockdale stops and turns to him, Jim stopped. He said he put his both hands on my shoulders and shook me to make his point. So, yeah, yeah which literally became, you know, something now that's referred to. I mean, I've probably heard the Stockdale principle 50 times in the last month. And yet you. a lot of people don't know the story behind it. I mean, I'm not going to do near as good a job as Collins because he was the interviewer. But, yeah. you know, the long and short of it, again, is that Stockdale, you know, was an eight-year prisoner of war um, in Vietnam and, you know, just endured so much abuse and torture and made it, you know, and so many of his colleagues did not make it out. He made it out not only surviving, but thrived, you know, the first three-star general in the U.S. Navy. And, you know, Collins asked him, how did you do it? You know, what did it take? And, you know, the first thing he talked about were all these things that pointed to optimism. You know, I needed to know, I needed to have hope that there was a better future. I saw that clip so clearly that I knew that it would make this current pain worth it. It was going to serve me well. You know, and Colin says, oh, well, obviously then you're just an optimist. I said, oh, no, no, no. He says, if, you know, as they do, I saw the people that were purely optimists. You know, they would say, I'm going to be out by Christmas. Mm-hmm. And Christmas would come. It's okay, we're going to be out by Easter. And Easter would come. And finally, he said, the next Christmas would come. And finally, one by one, they literally died of a broken heart. He said, the only way to ultimately be truly resilient is on one hand to have the optimism, have the hope for a better future, a belief in that, but hold that intention with being able to what he called face the brutal facts of reality. My resiliency will based on how much can I be both optimistic and realistic. And what's interesting is it's not about meeting in the middle. It's not about compromising. You know what? I'll be a little optimistic and a little be realistic. It's actually doing both fully. How can I be an incredibly optimistic person and an incredibly realistic person? So that would be the first one. And, you know, we look at that and you talk about continuums. I feel like on one end of the continuum, if you're incredibly optimistic, but you're not too realistic, we'd say you're probably, you know, could be described as unshaken, but unprepared. You're optimistic, you're feeling good, but you're really not prepared for what's coming. On the other end of the continuum, you know, you're super realistic, but you're struggling with optimistic. We'd say you're driven, you know, you keep your head down, you keep going, but you're kind of depressed. You know, that realism is kind of overwhelming you. Ultimately, the goal is to actually rise above the continuum and to be at a place where you're, we would call it vigilant and visionary. You're dealing with the facts of reality but you're doing it with this sense of optimism, hope, and vision that's propelling you to kind of get those results all the way through. 
Yeah. And so rather than a pure continuum, you look at these or depict these as more of a loop, infinity loop, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I was trained under Dr. Barry Johnson around this and he would say, you know, it's almost like if you stop with this paradigm of a continuum where you have to compromise and meet in the middle, you look at both sides, but then you almost rise above to this higher purpose. This higher purpose is actually not that I'm really optimistic or realistic, it's that I'm resilient. To be resilient, it means that I almost need to touch both ends of the spectrum, mm-hmm. not get stuck along the way. You gotta touch both sides so that I'm actually tapping into the full strength of both optimism and reality. And it allows me to kind of rise above to this place of resilience. And that's the point of the healthy tensions that you write of. It's not either or. That's right. It's both and. That's right. And again, it's not meeting in the middle. It's blending the best of both. And as you say, rising above. Bring both fully. And, you know, we talked about in challenging times, we want to pick a side. There's something in our psyche that really loves binary options you know it's right and it's wrong it's good or it's bad it's democrat or republican it's just give me a side and certainly there are lots of things in lives where we can pick a side and there are situations where one's good and one's bad but the tensions we're talking about it's right and right you know it's good and good (laughs) so what we want to do is rather than find ourselves in any spot on the continuum to say no i want to live out both sides fully Bob Chapman, who's the CEO of the Barry Waymiller Companies, he was with us three, four weeks ago now. Of the time this airs, I think it'll be four weeks ago that Bob was with us. And he has this phrase he uses that leaders, we need to keep our feet firmly on the ground and have our head in the clouds. Mm, That's great. We're talking the same language. Yeah, being able to give a grounded sense of hope for a better future, Mm. right? So sometimes when you hear the way Stockdale defined optimism, you know, just the purely optimist that set arbitrary dates, and we've seen arbitrary dates set. I remember watching a press conference early on, you know, and some of the reporters, well, can you tell us when this will be over and when things will go back to normal, right? Well, first off, I hope I hope we don't go back to normal because normal wasn't that good. It may have been comfortable, but it wasn't that good. That was just such kind of foolish thinking. Can you give a date? Even if it's unrealistic, just tell us something. Yeah, exactly. So what does it take to do both? Let's talk about that a moment. This being this brilliant optimism, you know, shining brightly with optimism and also being realistic. So it's not Pollyanna-ish. It's not these things that just you say something and it sounds so unfounded. Yeah, I would say with optimism and realism, and this is actually going to be the case for all three that we talk about, there's kind of three things that I would say every listener should try to do. One is just to accept or acknowledge the tension that oh, okay, I'm not going to solve this. Or you know what? As you say, some days I'm going to realize, I feel like I'm doing pretty well with this. Where other days you're like, wow, this is really unhealthy. So one is just having the language to say, okay, this is a tension to manage, as you say, not a problem to solve. There's no silver bullet solution. So accepting it's the first thing. The next thing is assessing it. 
So how well am I doing? And I say, and there's lots of ways we can do that, but a simple way is what are two or three positive results of optimism in my business or in my relationships or in my work? What are two or three positive results by being realistic? And then look at, okay, how much of those results am I living out right now? And then we can do it more formally than that, but even informally assess, you know what? Hey, I feel like I'm doing the optimism thing real well, but man, I'm struggling with the realism thing or the opposite. So assess, you know, first I want to accept, assess. And then the third thing is to actually leverage. You know, I said earlier that most people, when it comes to tensions, we, we assume they're bad. You know, oh, well, the fact that I haven't solved this means that I must be doing something wrong. Once we start to realize that these tensions are actually really, they're almost gifts to us. Mm. They're good things. You know, the leveraging is, okay, how do I actually, what are steps I can take to constantly tap into the energy of this tension? What are practical, measurable, tangible things I can do to actually take steps forward on each side? And it's going to be different for everyone. You know, for some folks, once we start to assess the tension, you're realizing that, wow, yeah, again, I'm, you know, I'm doing the reality a ton, but I'm really struggling with the optimism. Well, you know, some simple, simple steps might be, hey, start limiting the news you're taking in. Mm. You know, start just really, really simple things like that. Whereas on the optimism side, it actually might be, hey, think about a couple solid, wise, optimistic people in your circle and, you know, schedule some calls with those folks. Start to get that perspective in your life. So after we assess, then we decide, okay, what are the action steps? How do I leverage this tension? Good. Oh, thanks for sharing, Tim. I know that some of you listening are finding this incredibly valuable and helpful right now. And if you are, I'm just going to jump ahead. Hey, if you think this is good, join us for one of the sessions that we're going to tell you about at the end where we allow you to do a guided deeper dive. And we share this information, a little more of it, and then have some discussions around it and some action steps that you get to explore what this means for you. So, Tim, the second one, we'll just take them in the order you gave. Sure. Sure. We talked about optimism and realism. Why don't we talk about, you know, and I'll, I'll talk right now about this idea of caring for self and caring for others. So, okay. and it's interesting because I'm dealing with clients all over the world that how they managed this tension a month ago is no longer working for them now. You know, I have some folks that I just talked to someone last week in, in India who is all by herself in kind of total lockdown. She said, you know, I'm getting my work done so effectively, but generally I've got 14, 15, 16 hours a day when I'm either watching Netflix or sleeping. I just feel like I don't know what else to do. You know, there's other folks, just chatted with someone this last week as well, who's, you know, on the front line leading a long-term care center that has about a 40% infection rate. You know, she's living in a trailer in her front yard because she can't be with her kids, you know, so not to infect them. She's working 14 to 16 hours a day. And she said, you know, I'm, I'm doing this, then trying to help her partner homeschool the kids. And she goes, I just feel like I've got nothing left. I don't know how I'm going to sustain this. So, you know, for some folks, they're realizing, hey, I wish I could do more for others. You know, for other people, it's how am I going to take care of myself? I'll read you a couple quotes, Kevin, because I was researching this recently. And there's a beautiful quote from Audrey Hepburn. And uh, this was, you know, later in life, Audrey said, as you grow older, you discover that you have two hands, one's for helping yourself and the other's for helping others. You know, we're actually designed to do both. 
And I mean, this is true of this tension, but it's going to be true of every tension. If we choose or are forced to kind of live on one side and we neglect the other, it will never work long term. So if we're living in a space where all I'm doing is caring for everyone, my clients, my coworkers, my friends, my kids, and I'm just not investing in myself, you know, as you would expect within no time, I'm not going to be of use to anyone. Right, right. If I am doing everything in the world to try to make sure I'm taken care of and really being responsible for myself and maybe my family, but really kind of stopping there, you know, not looking at how might I be a resource, a help, an inspiration, a hand up to someone else, it won't work long term. So we've got to find a place, you know, where we can do both of those things. You know, ultimately, if we overdo the care for self, we truly become selfish. You know, if we overdo the care for others, we ultimately become burnt out. So how do we live in this kind of higher level? You know, we call it being supportive and strong. You know, how can I leverage or maximize that and even embrace this tension so on both? And the encouraging thing I'd say about this one is it's an example of one that you said this earlier, but we don't need to meet in the middle. It's not like it's got to be 50-50. You know, there can be, especially for those of your listeners who feel like they've got no time in the day to care for themselves, you know, simple, manageable, meaningful rituals. You know, I just talked to someone the other day and they said, if I can just carve out 10 minutes to have a cup of tea and to look out the window before I start my shift, Mm. I have what I need. You know, it's a meaningful and a manageable ritual. And a ritual is something, again, that it's ongoing. It becomes a habit. And those little tiny things, when they become ongoing, can actually start to produce that self-care we need. And the same with caring for others. It's, you know, we don't need to be Mother Teresa. You know, we don't need to be the people that we're seeing featured in news stories. We need to be people who are thinking about our neighbors and thinking about people that for whatever reason, you know, we just got a spot on our heart for them. You know, I live here in an area where there's a lot of migrant farm workers and, you know, they're in isolation, they're out of work, they're away from their families. And, you know, that's something that we've been saying as a family, what can we do in this challenging time to really try to reach out to our migrant worker friends? Nothing heroic, nothing newsworthy, just being a good neighbor. And I mean, if everyone did that, we get through this pretty well. And I think we'd actually find our resiliency grows because the more we reach out to others, the more we get out of our own head. So it's interesting. Conversation two weeks before this one was talking with Nilifer Merchant about onlyness. And she's got a beautiful book, The Power of Onlyness. But we were having a conversation how some people seem to struggle right now because they feel to do something for others, it must be big. It must be magnanimous, right? We want to do something that really makes a difference, right? That you hear of somebody giving away a million dollars. Well, I can't give away a million dollars. So what can I do? So I love that. I want to call out two of these for a little deeper dive. One is just doing a little thing for somebody else and how that is a big deal, big enough. Right. I mean, it can be, again, for the care for self, it can be those simple little, little things. And rather than thinking of all the things that you wish you were doing, start thinking about the one small thing that you're going to start doing. 
And the same idea with others. I have a little note on my desk and before I open my computer lately, I have been making myself kind of just pause and say, who who is someone that I could reach out to today? And that might be, I mean, it's been things as simple as, you know, sending a note to a politician here locally who I know that I know is just overwhelmed, just saying, hey, you're doing a great job. Can I send you a meal? Can I do uh, Uber Eats to you? To uh, encouragement to, uh, you know, healthcare worker family that are separated. And certainly there's bigger things as well, but just start, again, meaningful and manageable. Whether it's care for self or care for others, it's what are those meaningful and manageable rituals that are going to allow me to start managing that tension better. Well, and I'm really glad you talked about the care for self in Mm. really bite-sized nuggets. Mm. Some people right now have some bonus time that they can do self-care, self-development, because they're freed from some of the other things, freed of a commute that they used to make, you know, 60 or 90 minutes a day both ways. There's some bonus time that they can do something. But really for those that are on the front line Mm. and are feeling frayed, and I love it that you mentioned five minutes, 10 minutes, And that the beauty is more in the ritual than in the size of the ritual. Yeah, I feel, you know, that's interesting. I think that sometimes we, through media and a celebrity culture, we get tricked into thinking that self-care has to involve days at the spa and, (laughs) you know, full multi-day retreats. And certainly those can be great things. I don't think, though, that's really what self-care has to remotely be. Yeah. And right now, especially for those of you who feel like, wow, I don't have the time in the day and I do feel my tank being drained, you know, I would say right now, maybe better than any time in your life, what a time for you to start just testing things out. You know, let's get rid of what the media tells us or what celebrity culture tells us and let's actually just get real on what are little things that I can do in an ongoing way that actually fill me up. You know, is it making sure at noon I always go for a walk around the block? You know, is it some, you know, pages in a book? Is it engaging with other people? Like, what are those things? And, you know, what we realize is that although the spa days would be great, and, you know, for me, the fly fishing vacation would be wonderful, there's also really kind of free, quick, doable things that can be integrated in my day every day. That's what I think people have to look for. Yeah, and I think of something a mentor, Oscar Trimboli, shared, you know, uh, to be a better listener, if you just pause for five, ten seconds before entering the room, if you're a caregiver, pause five seconds as you walk in the room, just a couple of deep breaths, and center, what can I do for this patient now? Mm. Something as simple as that. If you're struggling with this, yeah, that's a simple act of self-care. That's great. So the final one. Yeah, sure. Yeah, the last piece is, I would use the terminology, it's the tension of embracing change while at the same time preserving stability. You know, I I can't tell you how many times a day I hear people talking about pivoting. You know, it's time to pivot the business and and that's great. I mean, goodness, this is the time to really question what we're doing, what we can do differently, how to stay relevant, how to keep the lights on, you know, pivoting business models, strategies, goals. And I think that's wise. And really, it's actually a great thing. 
until we do it to the neglect of holding on to what matters, Mm. you know, holding on to core values, realizing that, you know, this too shall pass. And when it does pass, let's make sure we're still the same when it comes to who we serve, the values that we are kind of committed to, the level of quality that we're known for. And, you know, that doesn't mean that we have to be a slave to tradition, but it means that in a time when, you know, we're really embracing the pivot, we're also holding on to what matters. And it's certainly, I think, a season where we're probably spending more time on the idea of embracing change, but we want to make sure that we realize this is not a problem to solve, but a tension to manage. And as we move towards more change and innovation and pivoting, let's be super clear on what will not change and how we are going to emerge still known for these things. I just think right now it's so important that we kind of stay grounded in this is not just about pivoting. It's pivoting as we actually get even clearer on who we are. And this is a tension that's not going away anytime soon, specifically, right? We're going to have more change. No, I've done work around this change stability tension for, I mean, as long as I've been involved in this idea of polarities and tension. So, you know, almost 20 years. It's a big one all the time. But right now, and specifically around resilience and results in challenging times, you'd better keep your eye on it. You know, it would be really easy to, you know, emerge through this and realize that we actually lost a lot of things that we should never have lost. You know, we embrace some changes that actually really confused who we are on a reputational level. We settled for delivery that ultimately now has us known for a different level of quality. Those are things that, again, in challenging times are easy to not notice and yet are so important to keep in your sight. So I'm glad you mentioned that because I really did want to hear what are some of the things at risk if we fail to manage that tension, those tensions of change and stability. Yeah. So those are the three. Again, this idea of caring for self and caring for others, you know, being optimistic and realistic and embracing change, but also holding on to stability. You know, I would argue that every listener in one way or the other is already managing those tensions, but I would say will benefit by being a lot more conscious and focused and deliberate about managing them well. So what are some tips for leveraging or tips for recognizing? Let's talk about that just a moment. How do you recognize that and begin to recognize, oh, this is a tension and the loops that I want to keep both. Mm -hmm. How do I reject problem solving thinking Mm -hmm. towards any of these? Yeah, well, again, problem solving is generally situations where there's a right and a wrong or a rightist, excuse my poor use of the English language, a rightist answer. You know, I can choose this and I'm done with it. I've solved the problem. Tensions, again, are a situation where there's a right and a right. So I think one way of recognizing it is as we're, you know, embracing maybe a perspective, a point of view, 
you know, the question I always ask myself is if I did this all the time, would there be a downside to it? You know, if I was to just treat this as the solution to the problem, would it maybe create problems down the road? This is again where in, in organizations, for example, you know, organizations sometimes struggle with what's called the pendulum effect. It's almost like we're an organization and we're tied to like the pendulum of a grandfather clock where all of a sudden, you know, it's like, oh, we're going to be all about change. Like, well, that'll work for a while. But if we overdo that, then it's like, we're going to be about stability. <laughs> and we go back and forth. Or, you know, I mean, on a very organizational level, you know, now it's all about decentralized freedom and all the reasons why that's great. And then we realize, ooh, if we overdo that, now we've lost all the benefits of centralized coordination. So that's the solution. <laughs> so again, one of the things you start to look for as you start to grasp that there are tensions to manage in life is when we start to look at a solution, always ask yourself the question, but is it part of the solution or is it the whole solution? Meaning that if all I do is do this, is there potentially a problem that it will create? And you know, right now in a season of pivoting, well, if all we do is pivot and we neglect stability, well, yeah, you're in trouble. For a lot of folks, they're saying, hey, we just got to get through this. We've got to be just optimistic. Yes, and if all we are is optimistic, we're in trouble. So what I would say, complex problems often have easy solutions. They just don't work. <laughs> so don't settle for an overly simplistic situation to what you know is the very complex problem. So, Tim, people that have listened to this, why might they want to join us for a deeper dive discussion? I would say this. I mean, when we were chatting about today, I think we said it'd be certainly great, I think, for everyone to be aware of these tensions. But right now, you know, especially in a time of social distancing, folks are spending maybe even a little bit too much time on their own. <laughs> you know, we've lost a lot of the natural collaboration and processing that takes place um, just through workplaces and being down, you know, meeting with friends. So I think right now there'd be a huge benefit for folks to say, you know, albeit virtually, let's set up some conversations, some breakout conversations, some time for us to assess and hear from each other on how each other, how we're all managing these tensions well. So I think that for folks that want to go deeper than just awareness, we want to invite you into an opportunity where you can get into a little bit more of that assessing an application together. And you can explain what's going to happen. I feel like we can go to a deeper level and a much more significant amount of impact. Yeah, so I'm going to ask you to stay to the end, and I will provide the link that you can go to to get that information. So, Tim, before we wrap this up, what else do you want to interject into this space, this conversation about resilience and achieving results, even or especially during challenging times? I guess I would just invite people into what I have been uh, processing on my own, and that is I would love things to be different right now. I wouldn't choose what we're going through. And I look forward to when a lot of these clouds part. And I'm 46, so, you know, I don't know where that puts me in life. But I can tell you that in this kind of middle-aged place, there may not be a time in my life when I have 
more of an opportunity to assess kind of what my level of resilience is and to really learn and work hard on stepping it up, you know, by identifying things that I'm not okay with saying, okay, what am I going to do to, you know, strengthen that, show up differently, to learn to have more grace with myself. Again, you can go through MBA programs, self-awareness certifications, but outside of situations like this, you don't really have the mirror held up to you in a way that provides the reflection that you need. And I guess the long and short of it is, this is the time to really go kind of come face to face with your level of resiliency and emerge in the next weeks, months, year at a place where you can be proud of the work you put in to making sure that it did nothing but improve. Mm. And, you know, your level of learning, your level of acceptance for yourself, for others, all of that were gifts that you were given through this challenging time. Hmm. Oh, I love that. Look at the gifts you've been given through this challenging time. So Tim, I want to thank you for the gift of your time today, the gift of this conversation for you that are listening. And if people want to connect with you, where do they go to do that? You can just go to leadersforleaders.ca. So leaders with an S or F-O-R, leaders with an S, leadersforleaders.ca, not com. I'm up here in Canada. Um, so leadersforleaders.ca. And uh, I have actually tons of resources that folks can download and assessments and and I'm happy to answer any questions. So just reach out to me. And I also hope that I'm able to see lots of your listeners virtually face-to-face at our breakouts, which you'll explain in a little bit. Okay. Thanks for joining, Tim. My pleasure. I'm pretty confident resilience is something you value now, perhaps more than you've valued in quite a while. There's so many concepts that have dramatically increased in their value during this global pandemic, and resilience is certainly one of them. These three tensions are relevant and real and will continue to be so for the foreseeable future. Remember, it's not either or, it's both and thinking. For instance, being optimistic and being realistic. And don't believe for a moment that you can't be both. You must be both. Like I referenced the conversation to Bob Chapman a few episodes back, having your feet firmly on the ground and your head in the clouds, a grounded sense of hope for a better, brighter future. We know that there is so much that will change and needs to change in the days ahead, and some people are advocating changing everything. However, you realize there's a stability that needs to be preserved. So that's change and stability. And then the final one we talked about, one that's just so near and dear to my heart, caring for self and caring for others. You and me must do both. Actually, if you are tasked to care for others, you got to make caring for yourself a priority or you soon find yourself running on empty, unable to care for either. 
If you enjoyed this conversation between Tim and me and would like to join us for additional rich and robust exploration of these three tensions and what they mean for you, your life, and your work, then sign up for what we're calling the Waymaking Sessions, where we explore ways to move forward with purpose and positivity into a better and brighter future. The first of our Waymaking Sessions occurs over three weeks in May, Tuesday, May 5th, Wednesday, May 13th, and Thursday, May 21st, all at 12 noon Eastern Daylight Time. We've set up a special domain for these sessions. Go to zoommein.com. That's right, zoommein.com as we're meeting on Zoom for these conversations. We look forward to having you join us. These are our gift to you. There's no cost to attend. However, registration is required. So go to zoommein.com to register. And if you'd like to explore hosting Waymaking Sessions for your organization, reach out to me and we'll get that process started. You can email me, kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com, or you can call or text me, 678-744-5111. Thank you for being a difference maker. Keep shining your light to illuminate the way for others on this road less traveled. What could 10 days of gratitude do for you? Find out what hundreds of people have experienced and make a change that can last a lifetime at thegratitudechallenge.community because it's better when we do things together.